Well, welcome everyone. I am excited as we kind of continue this series on Desperado. Uh, one of the reasons why is because I think uh, men are in need of some guidance in this world. And I know there's going to be about, oh, I don't know, seven, 800 people here on campus today, and there's going to be another thousand that watch online. And if you want to share this, this is a message for people that have uh, men who've kind of figured it out and they're on the right path. They're not perfect, but they're moving in this direction. It's for guys who have a lot of questions about why they've ended up where they're at and what really is the point of being a man or manly in this world. Now, today we're going to talk about, uh, about authority and strength. And so today I'm going to say a lot of things that are going to be uh, highly offensive and controversial. Um, if you're offended, uh, you'll get over it. Um, my intent, though, I, this is very important to understand. My intent is not to offend people. There's really no value in offending people. You know, just, but my, 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 what I'm attempting to do is to plant seeds that look at something from a perspective that some of you may be listening for the first time online have never heard before. I think it's important to hear it, think about it, and then if you disagree with it, that's fine. But don't have a reflex where you just reject it, okay? Uh, now, why is that? Well, after 35, 36 years in a full-time ministry, I run into, I've run into easily a couple thousand couples that are struggling in their marriage, okay? Uh, Carl and Samantha, for instance. And the biggest issue with Carl and Samantha is, uh, you know, they've been married about, I don't know, maybe 12, 13 years. They have a couple of kids, and they're in marriage counseling, and because they're really struggling. And the reason why, when you boil it all down, is this, is that Samantha is a feminist and a traditionalist, right? Sometimes she's a feminist and she's like, you know, girl power and quality. All that. And then other times in her marriage, she's a traditionalist. She's like, well, you're the man and you should do this and be this and so forth. And Carl is a feminist and he's a traditionalist, right? You know, and here's why they have problems. When you boil it all down and strip all the accusations away, you boil it all down is when she's, her feminism, right, and his traditionalism don't match up. And her traditionalism and his feminism don't match up. In other words, when she's a feminist, she does not want him to be a traditionalist. But when she's a traditionalist, right, she wants him to be a traditionalist, but he's not. He's a feminist. And that, at its core, is a big problem. So this whole series is called Desperado, and we're going to talk about uh, why men are going their own way. Quick review, uh, men... Uh, are increasingly going it, uh, on their own. It's not good for them, and it's not good for uh, women. It's not good for kids. It must support, it's not good for society. It's not good for anything, anywhere, okay? Number two, we talked about how masculinity is the answer, not the problem. Uh, but our world today thinks masculinity is the problem. Last week, uh, Zach talked about how there's a path to discovering your masculinity in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. But very few men are actually able to walk that. So why are men going it alone? Why are they confused about what it means to be a true man? Uh, why are they living in a world that doesn't want them to actually discover their 
masculinity. So what we're going to talk about today specifically is that in order for you to walk the path of masculinity, in order for you to discover masculinity, you first and foremost must be set free to do it. You must be set free to do it. Uh, Otherwise, you will never walk in it and discover it. There's a gravity of the world, you know, it's like uh, the gravity well of a black hole. And what it does is it sucks you in and you have to overcome this gravity. And unless you've been set free from the gravity of society and the world in which you live, then you'll never able to be actually be able to understand and grow in it. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you the first thing is you got to understand the earthly principle. And once you grab the earthly principle, you'll be able to understand the spiritual principle of what I'm talking about. Because we're not just material beings, we're spiritual as well. We just don't have a physical body, we have a soul as well. And those two are connected, okay? And they influence one another. But the first thing you have to understand is that, is that there is a principle that brings freedom on this earthly realm, and then there, that points to a spiritual issue that brings freedom. And that's what we're going to dig into. So we're going to meet my good friend, Jocko Willick. And Jocko, is, uh, he's a Navy SEAL, but he was not just a Navy SEAL. He ascended to the heights. He actually ran BUDS training for the Navy. In other words, he trained a lot of the SEALs that are active today, and he talks like it. Let's meet him. Discipline equals freedom. That's not a contradiction, it's an equation. Discipline might appear to be the opposite of freedom, but in fact, discipline is the path to freedom. Discipline is the driver of daily execution. Discipline defeats the infinite excuses that hold you back. Some people think motivation is what will compel them to get things done, but motivation is just an emotion, a feeling. And like all feelings, it's fickle. It comes and goes. You can't count on motivation to be there when you need to get through truly challenging times. But you can count on discipline. Discipline is something you dictate. Motivation won't make you exercise every day. Discipline will. Motivation won't stay up late and finish a project for you. Discipline will. Motivation isn't going to get you out of bed in the morning. Discipline will. Make discipline part of your daily life, and your daily life will get better. Well, yeah, yeah. He's right there at you, isn't he? (laughs) He's got the face for it, too. Have you ever noticed that? Notice what he's saying. Discipline equals freedom. Most people think freedom is doing what? anything you want whenever you feel like it. That is not freedom. That's bondage. See, only a boy thinks that way. You know, you start to realize when you are a man, it's the more disciplined I am, the more freedom I possess. Now, this points to a very important spiritual principle that you need to understand. Because even though you can discipline yourself to go through a difficult time, you can discipline yourself as a man to uh, achieve goals in life that bring more freedom in life, if your soul and your spiritual life is not in order as well, all this earthly success will still leave you empty and wondering why you're doing what you're doing. 
Okay? So there's a spiritual component that you, as a guy, have to answer. And so this earthly notion, discipline brings freedom. Guess what? Authority and power brings spiritual freedom. There's a passage of scripture that has always just fascinated me. And I've just read it so many times and studied it so many times. And I, I want to share it with you today. It's a, it's, a, it's a discussion that Jesus has. And he talks about this issue of power and authority. And it's in Mark chapter 3. Uh, there's a synoptic passage, a parallel passage in Matthew chapter 12, and it's also in the gospel according to John. But I'm going to read the one in Mark today, beginning with verse 20, and I'm just going to kind of talk about it a little bit, and then we're going to see why it's such a significant uh, passage in dealing with what we're talking about, okay? And so for some odd reason, I feel I'm a little far away over here, just, you know. We want to balance and equality and all that other kind of stuff. Okay, verse 20. Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. So there's this notion that Jesus is up there in uh, around the Sea of Galilee. He's been teaching and Crowds are following him. Uh, there's, there's a situation where he feeds 4,000 people and then they get in the boat, right? And then the storm comes up and he calms the seas. Well, the crowd basically just marches around, you know, takes all night around the four or 5,000 people around the Sea of Galilee to meet him on the other side. So they're just constantly pressing against him because he's committing all these miracles. He's doing all these incredible things, right? And he, so it says they are pressing around him. They can't, he can't even eat. And the idea here is that it's a frenzy. It's just a frenzy of people pressing against him. Verse 21. Now his family heard about this. They went to take charge of him for they said he's out of his mind. And what this actually means is they went to detain him, right? They were going to grab him basically, you know, throw him, throw him in the trunk of the car and say, okay, we're having you committed. Verse 22. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, well, he's possessed by Beelzebub, the prince of demons. He is dry, by the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. So the, the, what Mark is trying to get at here is this, is that Jesus was uh, uh, pressed by these people. His family was concerned. Probably some close friends of the family were concerned. And so in order to have somebody, you know, they wanted to go to detain him, they needed some uh, backing, maybe legal backing. And so the teachers of the law came down from Jerusalem, right? So that they could basically say, here's a legal justification. It's similar today. I mean, uh, you can't just have somebody committed, you know, oh, we want to commit you. You know, they have rights. So they have to have, you know, doctors and people and all this kind of stuff going on, right? It's kind of similar to that. And the teachers of the law use what they consider to be a powerful legal basis for having Jesus detained. And that is, is that he is casting out demons. He's doing these miracles on the power of Satan. Now, notice how he starts with saying, they say Beelzebub, okay? And then Jesus uses Satan. Now, why does you, you're going to see two different names here. And the reason why is this, is Beelzebub was a moniker that came from the Old Testament god Baal or Baal, 
Okay, and when it's said in Hebrew, they would take those, we say Baal, it's B-A-A-L, they would pronounce it Baal Hasiar or something, you know, this Hebrew ending there that I can never pronounce properly. So don't, you know, send me an email saying you don't know how to speak Hebrew. You're right. (laughs) Okay, I get that. So the point though is this, is that Beelzebub is a derivative, a Greek derivative of Baal. Baal or Baal. And Baal was the fertility god of the Philistines. And he was a sex god. So what they're doing is they're saying this is, he, he's, it's a kind of like a, a taint of a sex thing that's going on with Jesus and why he has this power which is really interesting that they would use that because look at what happens next. So Jesus then calls them over and he begins to speak to them. So he has a conversation with them and this is what he says. How can Satan, so he goes from Beelzebub, that derivative or that moniker, to Lucifer or Satan, right? The king of this world and the authority that the God of this world has Satan or Lucifer. So he says, how can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end can come, or his end is come. Now, notice what he does here. He says, what he's doing is he's using logic in its axiomatic logic. In other words, he's saying, well, if you drop an apple, it falls to the ground. So that's an appeal to what? The law of gravity. It's a law that everybody accepts. And what's the first, it goes, look, here's an axiomat. Axiom means it's a truth no matter what, like the law of gravity, right? So this axiomatic truth is what? That a kingdom cannot stand if it's divided against itself. Then he, he personalizes it. Your house, right? Your family cannot stand if it's divided against itself and ultimately Satan. So he goes from king to house to individual. Okay. He says that individual, if he's opposing himself, how in the world is that going to work? So what he's doing is doing a couple things. He's, he's using this form of logic, but he's also pointing out the nature of Satan. Okay, so Satan is a god of this world, right? Satan has a household, and Satan has authority in a kingdom. So he's pointing this out. And look at what he says. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first binding him. Now I have my, I, I got double Bible today, so it's double barrel shotgun today here because we got, this is NIV that I'm reading out of. Most people have NIV. Uh, I grew up on the New American Standard. I don't use the New American Standard, the side note, not that you, any of you would really care, but I'll tell you why. Because I grew up on the New American Standard, but the New American Standard is really, really wordy, right? And it's more like sometimes reading a technical matter it, um, um, uh, thing as opposed to a, uh, a better flow. And that's what NIV tries to do is make the ideas flow a little bit better. But um, it's really interesting because in the New American Standard, they use the term bind. 
He says, you will be, there's a binding that happens, okay? So in the, the idea is that, you know, you bind up a strong man with ropes and shackles, you know, weighed down by all that stuff. So that's the imagery there, okay? He goes, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up, binding him. Once he does that, he can plunder the strong man's house. That makes perfect sense, right? Verse 28, truly I tell you, people can be forgiven all of their sins and every slander they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven, for they are guilty of an eternal sin. Okay? Now, he said this because they were saying, now Mark tells us why Jesus brought this up. He has an impure spirit. They were saying Jesus is crazy, and we want to detain him. And Jesus said, when it comes right down to it, this is all about, in the spiritual realm, power and authority. Now, I want you to notice a couple things about this passage. Number one is what's really interesting is notice how no one questions the power of Jesus. His disciples, of course, didn't. All those crowds following him wanted it. But his family, who thought he was out of his mind crazy, guess what? They didn't deny it. And who else didn't deny it? His critics because they used an argument that he's doing all this stuff from the power of Satan. So everybody admits that Jesus is exhibiting really incredible power. The second thing is Jesus uses logic to show how they are wrong. And the logical argument he makes has incredible implications for you and for me. And here, guys, is what I want you to understand. Jesus says, in fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. Once he's tied up, he can plunder your house. Once you're tied up, he can plunder your house. And you guys live in a world that has spent your entire life binding you up. And the problem isn't that you're so messed up and it's all your fault. The problem is, is the world has bound you up that you have no idea what it means to be free and walk in true manhood. I wouldn't say it's your fault. It's the fault of the world you live in. And if anything, you need to take responsibility for the fact that you listened to it and believed it. This is where it gets salty, my friends. Number one, you have to understand that you have been bound and Satan is plundering your house. The first thing he's doing is he's Stealing the peace and strength of your soul. A man created in the image of God, given a mission and purpose in life, and you're walking through life wondering, why am I even here and does anything I ever do make any difference at all? That is a deception because Satan has stolen, he's plundered your purpose. He's plundered your mission. He's plundered your passion. He's stolen it from you because he bound you up. How in the world did he do that? Because you live in a world that has bound you up through your own sexual desire. That's number one. There's like three or four. I'll go through all of them. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, it says the following, flee from sexual immorality. He doesn't say flee from sex. Okay, your sexual drive, guys, is a God-given drive within you that is awesome. But what happens is immorality is the perversion of that drive. And why does he say flee it? Because all other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins against sins sexually is sinning against who? Yourself. Did you get that? It's against you. And it messes you up like never before. Satan then binds you up through that. And guess what? He robs you of love. He robs you. He plunders your house. He messes up your marriage. He messes up your dating life. He messes up your kids. He come in. When he gets that, you tied up, he can plunder you. And you live in a world that is geared 100% towards putting those bonds around you as a man. Men are assaulted with sexuality every single day. It is used to get you, manipulate you to buy cars, buy motorcycles, buy yogurt and body wash. <laughs> Men are assaulted with pornography. Seven out of 10 13-year-old boys 13 middle school, eighth graders have been exposed to pornography. The, be, the, the number one way that they are introduced to it is in the public school system library. These are facts. The public library, your local library, is where they're introduced. Once they're introduced to it, the second best way they get it is this. Right there. It used to start at puberty, right? But now, a lot of people are not aware of this, but our public educational system is implementing this salt on young boys as early as kindergarten and first grade. I could talk all about the nation. I could talk about California. A lot of people know how crazy California is. If you're from California, we're so glad you're here. Welcome to the land of sanity. But... You need to understand something, is that uh, right now the Idaho School uh, Boards Association, it's called IDSBA, here in the state of Idaho, is a, is a policy, uh, it's, a, it's a group that meets every year, they have an annual meeting, and their goal is to provide policies and procedures for all school boards across the state. They do this because, you know, when you're a school board, a lot of people are elected, right, to a school board, you're a volunteer, aren't you? And so you show up, you go to the meeting, and you're going like, man, we have all, I mean, there's been, uh, it's such a huge government bureaucracy now, uh, public education, and it's, over the last 50 years, there's been so much law, you can't have a board meeting unless you have two lawyers sitting next to you just to explain the law, and you have to have all these policies and procedures, and where are you going to get all that stuff? Who's going to make all that up? Well, the IDSBA comes along and says, hey, let us help you, let us help you, let us help you. And one of the things that the IDSBA has done is they now have policies and procedures that propose introducing gender ideology and transgenderism to first graders here in Idaho. 60 school districts out of 150 have adopted their policies on this. There was a massive meeting. I wasn't there, just read about it, in Caldwell just two weeks ago about whether they were going to implement this or not. Right here in Idaho. That is not a good sign. Why am I bringing this up? Because guess what? Satan wants to mess you up. 
as a man. And he will use your sexual drive against you. And you live in a world, right? You live in a world that wants to do that to you. And the between pornography, all this sexual confusion, all of these radical ideologies about your sex, sexuality gets you thinking and wondering, and you never stop and ask yourself, you know, I am hungry, I need to eat, is what I'm eating good for me or bad for me? Because if you're eating what's bad for you physically, if you're eating what's bad for you spiritually, it's going to suck the life out of your soul. Is this your fault? It's not an issue of blame because you live in a world that seeks to do this and they want to start as early as possible to get you confused about it so that you don't know what the answer is. I get that. But at some point, you're going to have to ask yourself the question is, how much have I been influenced by this as a man? And you're going to have to do what I call detox. The second thing that our world does to you to try to bind you up and plunder your house and plunder your life and plunder your soul is your work life. In Luke chapter 12, verse 13 through 15, someone comes up to talk to Jesus and someone in the crowd uh, it'll pop up here in a second. It says, someone in the crowd comes up to Jesus, okay, and asks him the question. And it says, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, Mark is trying to truncate this stuff. He's trying to make it as short as possible. But basically what this guy is saying is that I have a claim and a lot of it went to my brother and he's not, he's not the fiduciary, be acting responsibly, this is mine. And so what Mark is doing is setting up this whole conversation about how there's things in this world and I'm owed them and Jesus tell the, my brother to do the right thing. And Jesus replies, man, who appointed me a judge or arbiter between you, between you and your brother? And then he says to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, because life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Your desire and drive as a man to work is noble. It is. You, as a man, are called the ma your masculine soul to work in order to add value and to give provision. But the world wants to warp that drive within you so that Satan can bind you up. When your work is the thing that makes you feel like a man, then you're bound up. If you work as an expression of your masculinity, you're not. But when you need work to make you feel like a man, you're bound up. Because the opposite of this is true. When you refuse to work, you're bound up. You see, a, a masculine trait of a man is, I want to show up and I want to bring value. I don't know what my role is. Don't know what, my, what I can, but I know by showing up, I can bring value to this situation. I can build. I can innovate. I can create. I can do the work, administrate, I can organize, I could do all of these things in order to add value. But if you look at it in your life, say, well, I have to do this to prove myself. I have to do this. Material possessions are how I keep count. Guess what? I'm now a man. You're bound up. And Satan will use that to plunder your house. 
How many guys have lost the women in their lives because they either refused to work or they worked too much? I'll just let that float out there. The third way that Satan comes in to bind you up is this, through ideologies. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, Paul says the following, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. Our world is filled with hollow and deceptive philosophies. One of the reasons why Carl and Samantha had so much trouble is because Carl, um, he grew up in a Christian home, right? And then he uh, was like, well, we go to church, we do that thing, you know. He, he wasn't quite so sure on it. He enjoyed having fun. He was kind of the life of the party type guy. And then he moves out and he goes to college, right? And when he's at college, you know, he joins a fraternity, you know, and he's just having a great time. He's partying and all this stuff. And then his junior year, he meets uh, Samantha and they started off because they just had tons of fun together, you know. She was so funny and witty and stuff. They spent all this time together. And then the senior year to save money, uh, they start living together, right? That's no big deal. They're living together, you know. His parents weren't happy about it, but, you know, they're kind of religious and fuddy-duddies anyway. So he went to do his own thing, and then afterwards they got jobs, and they're working, uh, and then they decide, well, let's get married, you know. We've been out of school a couple of years, and then after that she gets pregnant, and, and then she gets pregnant again, and so they have these kids, and what happens is her expectations on who he should be as a husband and his expectations on what she should be as a wife were completely developed developed by the ideologies of this world. He had no idea how deceived he had been on how to treat women, how to relate to women. She had no idea how men think and how to speak man language. And she was inundated with feminist ideology that allowed her to blame him for all of her flaws and unrealistic expectations. And he had been inundated with feminist ideology so that he was confused and locked up and had no idea what a man was even supposed to be in a marriage. When he got to school, the reason why he ejected his, rejected Christianity and his parents' faith is because he walked through the door in Philosophy 101, and the professor stood up there and said, well, God's all loving and powerful, right? Yes, he is. There's evil in the world, yeah. How can a God who's all loving and powerful let evil be in the world? Either he's not loving or he's not powerful enough to do anything, so there is no God. And he just went, wow, that's so profound and true. Because he was about this deep in his faith. He had no idea the logical inconsistencies in that syllogism. He had no idea. He had no idea that atheism is not about God at all. It has nothing to do with God. It has to do with the pride and arrogance of human beings. He had no understanding of Marxist ideology. He had zero understanding of Marxism and its influence on our society today. As a matter of fact, he had no idea that a lot of the feminism today is based on Marxist ideology. 
He has no idea that social theory and a lot of the critical race theory and a lot of all of this stuff is all based on Marxist ideology. He has no idea that the reason why the crime rate is going up is because they're trying to create social instability. He has no idea of any of this stuff, right? Because he went to college and he didn't learn how to do a job. He was indoctrinated with worldly ideologies that have so messed him up that he's sitting in a therapist's couch wondering, what's the point of my life and how do I stay married? So if I haven't offended everybody by now, let me try now. <clears throat> Number four. Guys, the way that you're bound up is through entertainment. We are masters at distraction. In Luke chapter 21, verses uh, 34 and uh, 35, it says, Be careful, be careful, or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. And that way will close, and the day will close on you suddenly like a trap. What day is he talking about? The day when Christ comes again. Right? Now, Christ may come tomorrow, or he may come in two, 20 years. He may come in 200 years. We don't know, but I guarantee you this. That day is going to hit you someday, for it will come on all those who live on the face of the whole earth. We all, at some point, give an account for the decisions that we've made. We all do, right? And men often seek distractions from the difficulties of life. And these distractions weigh you down. They bind you up. They bind up your life. Now, the reason I shared these in general senses was not to be offensive, but to get you to think that the main issue here is not how do I overcome this work issue in my life. It's not how do I overcome this sex issue in my life. It's not how I overcome this addiction in my life. It's something much bigger than that. And the biggest thing about this is this, is that you've been bound up by the devil and he's plundering your house and you must be unbound. You must be set free to break the power of these shackles in your life. And this is very important to understand. This is the whole point of this message right here. It all comes to this point right here, right now. Very important to grab a hold of it. And that is the power to unbind you is an issue of authority in your life. And you must establish the authority in your life that has the power to break the binds. And who has the power to break the binds in the story? Even the critics who wanted to lock him up admitted Jesus has the power to set you free, to get the binds off of you, to be the strong man that you are called to be. The purpose of Jesus is to set you free. Boys think, oh, freedom is to do whatever I want. But on an earthly plane, discipline equals what? Freedom on a spiritual plane, authority equals power to be free. And there's only one way to be a man, to be a masculine man, to become who you're meant to be is when you settle the issue of authority in your life. 
That's how you live as a masculine man. And if you believe the teachings of this world, you're going to say, well, this is my authority. I'm my authority. And if you're your authority, if you're the driver of your life, you have no power. You have no power to be ever be free and to be the strong man that protects his house, which begins with your soul. That's why Jesus said the most important words ever. If you want to follow me, you must what? Deny yourself. Why does he say that? Because it's an issue of authority. See, what he's saying is that you want the power to be free. You want to be power to have these chains broken away from you. You want to have power over these things in this world that want to manipulate you and destroy you and bind you up so that Satan can come in and plunder your house, plunder your soul, plunder your marriage, plunder your kids, plunder your legacy, plunder your work, plunder everything about you. Well, the only way to break that, stop that, ruin it, and say no more, not today, is to say, Jesus is my king. I'm not my king. Jesus is my king because he is my authority and his authority has the power over my life and to change me. And when Jesus is your king, when Jesus is your authority and Jesus is your power, you leave the kingdom of this world and you start living in the kingdom of God. And in the kingdom of God, all men are powerful. Let's stand for closing prayer. Father, we just hope and pray that we can kind of understand what you're doing. This world's made it so confusing and difficult. I pray we can break through the foggy and see the light. Amen. God bless you guys. See you next week.
Praise the 